Welcome to Dr. Eric's Relentless Vitality Podcast. Our focus is on optimizing physical and mental vitality, maximizing performance, and extending lifespan. Dr. Eric is a licensed physician with a wealth of expertise in age management and preventive medicine, whose goal is enabling his patients to stay young, feel their best, and enjoy a higher quality of life. It's always better with video. Yeah, we'll uh, I'll edit. I'll we'll edit all the all the, the chit chat out later. <laughs> so you said you've been doing a bunch of podcasts lately. Oh yeah, yeah. I just booked uh, Ben Greenfield, um, which is cool. And I'm um, nice. so Dr. Sean Baker's here, um, but uh, I don't, we'll see. We'll see. And I, I don't know if he wants me on. So <laughs> I hope that he, he seems like the nicest guy ever. Yeah, yeah. I've never talked to him, but I've I've heard him I've heard him speak before. Um, you know, it's good to mix it up a little bit, right? Get a little uh, little both sides of all the the different arguments. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. I, I think I heard you on. Um, I think uh, the Superhuman Radio. I think is where I, I heard yours. Uh, oh, okay. So, um, and uh, it was kind of funny because it kind of resonated with me because I was literally going through the same thing myself and I actually just did a YouTube video a few days ago about it because um, when we were talking, well we were talking about uh, fasting and things and that's um, I was talking with my dad and he said hey you know I've um, I started doing what you told me to a long time ago back when you're you know when you wrestled back in you know high school and stuff he's like I just instead of eating them you know I just eat like multiple small meals throughout the day I feel a lot better and I thought Oh shit! I did tell you that a long time ago. I said, and because I used to do that, and then I started going playing around with fasting and different things. I'm like, I just don't do good on big meals, like eating. A, I feel bloated and things, so I just do better on smaller meals. So you and Carl were talking about that, and I was like, ah, I gotta listen oh, to this. Okay, all right. Oh, okay, that's weird. Because uh, I, I think you and I connected um, right after I did Mark Bell, so I, I, I wasn't sure if, if that's what you'd saw, but it was. I like, did hear that one too, but yeah, I, I think I reached out to you after I, I heard you on Carl, and because I'm always listening, trying to find uh, people I can interview and put on the podcast, and just get different perspectives and uh, mm-hmm. different point, different points of view, so that that, uh, that resonated with me very well. So I thought I got to reach out to this guy. <laughs> cool. I'm glad you did. Glad you did. Did did I send you my book? Uh, I actually, I think I bought your book. Um, did you get the, the digital copy? I I did a uh, the online I think version. Okay. I went and checked out. Yeah, okay. I went to your website and I'm like I'm just gonna I'm gonna check out his book. So I think I bought it and okay. read through it in about a day and a half. And I'm like this is really cool. So a day and a half. <laughs> uh, maybe two days. <laughs> okay. I read through it pretty. I, I I get into the nutrition and uh, a lot of the stuff I've learned through the years with um, you know peptide therapy and I'm you know treating things at the cellular level things like that. So that really. It really hit me, and I, I started getting into it. So I just kind of when, when I get into something I really like, I just I kind of devour it. So I just kind of read through it in a couple of days, and I have to reread it a few times. But <laughs> it was good. It was good. You did a great job on that. Uh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Took a while. So how? Um, yeah. So um, how much? Before we, I guess we'll get started. If you're okay, with, are you on any? Uh, do you have any appointments or any time crunches, or what's your schedule? We're good. I set about two hours out for this, so we can go as long as you want. You got plenty of time, okay. Oops. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're good. All right. Well, cool. Um, hopefully. Um, anyway, so yeah, so so you're out in the where in, in California, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in sunny Irvine. Okay, gotcha. Very nice. And you you've been there for some time then, or? 
Yeah, I, I, I went to um, college down here. I went to UCI. And I'm, I'm from okay. Silicon Valley originally. So I oh, really? Yeah, but it, when I grew up there, it wasn't Silicon Valley. It was, it was like, um, mostly like, like contractor, you know, like a bunch of building contractors and forests and orchards and, you know. Right. And then I came down to UCI <laughs> and it was like, oh, palm trees. And I'm like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> Why would anybody leave this? <laughs> Changed a little bit, right? <laughs> hmm. Oh my gosh, that's funny because Silicon Valley um, now, like the epicenter of it, is right where I grew up. So like uh, right in that area of Campbell and all that. That's like right where eBay is, and you know, like everything. So it's weird, weird when I go back there. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Oh, I bet you. How far? How far is that from where you're at now? Oh my gosh, uh, 400 miles. Oh wow, yeah, that is that is, that is really yeah. far. That is really far. Ish. Yeah, it's this weird thing though. You get sun and palm trees and. And, and and it just has this strange effect on the human mind where you just kind of want more of it. <laughs> so, yeah. Came down, never left. Yeah. It's been a long time now. Yeah, yeah. My uh, yeah. Every time we go somewhere sunny, my wife is getting that itch now too to 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 get to uh, where the sun is all the time. I'm in smack in the middle of Ohio, so right now we're in our kind of blab, dreary kind of season. So okay, you kind of get used to it, I guess. But yeah, I I, I kind of like to be in the sun. <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, Come on out. We'll go to Disneyland. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've never been. I've never been. I've been to Disney Disney World, but I don't think I've ever been to Disneyland. So. Oh, you got to do it. You got to come on out, and we'll go to Disneyland. You got to do it. That would be fun. That would be a blast. My <laughs> wife and we're both Disney geeks, so it's. Oh really? It's just like a fun place to go, and it's happy and clean, and you know. And yeah. It's cool. Oh yeah. 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 Awesome. What? Um, is it well? I guess it's Disney World. I guess they have the big Star Wars thing there. Do they have something? What? It's a different kind of theme theme out there, right? Is it? They have different. Uh, uh, well, they they just opened up the whole Star Wars thing uh, at mm-hmm. Disneyland here, and so yeah, yeah. it's it's a big deal. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. All the nerds are there. So. <laughs> my uh, my older son's big on me. He wants to to go back there and do the Star. He's a big he's big in Star Wars and. Marvel superhero stuff and all that kind of thing. He, he, he draws them. He's begging me to, to go there, so I'm going to have to drink, bring him out there. <laughs> it's known, but I'm a super nerd. I grew up on all that stuff. Yeah, me too. Me too. I was big into comic books my whole life and uh, Star I Wars. I was a comic book artist when I was growing up. That's my thing. Really? Oh, yeah. that's funny. Did you draw a lot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. We'll have, to, yeah. we'll have to share some drawings then because that's all I drew when I was a kid. I drew like Spider-Man and Daredevil and all that stuff. I just, it's, it's, just pencil drawings and I'll tell you what. My son, my son is he's he's better than I ever was. He's drawing all that stuff now and his detail is just off the chart. I'll have to I'll have to send you a link to his uh his page or whatever, show you some pictures of it. If you like that stuff, you can get a kick out of it. It's pretty cool. That's he's pretty working cool. on a big uh he's done a bunch of big Marvel Avengers, all kinds of diet and these big pictures and now he's working on a big Star Wars one. So he's he's big into that, which is kinda cool. Really? Kind of relive my child kinda relive my childhood through him. <laughs> Cool. There's a guy that I know. I can't. I can't mention his name, but he's very famous in this industry, and uh, I wouldn't say this unless he gave me permission to. But he's a total comic book nerd. And, oh really? Uh, yeah. Whenever we get together, like half our time is you know deep dives, nutrition stuff, but the other stuff is like comic book stuff. So <laughs> that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not John Meadows, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> now you know you want to guess now, right? <laughs> yeah. I just I just popped that popped in my head because I think I saw one of his videos. He had a little uh, little action, little superhero thing on his desk or something like that. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Oh, so I just I'm think it's an interesting cultural commentary, 
now because um, it's it it, it always it always kind of reflects what's going on in society and and mm -hmm. uh, so and of late the last few years there's this loss of cohesion and logic in storytelling and it's 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 more about everything's more about each panel needs to be super cool right, and right. so cohesion and narrative is subverted to like you know oh that's sick dude and it's it's very interesting it's it's like the it's like the erosion of thought itself is is kind of going on at some level yeah, yeah, it's it's funny to hear you say that because I thought the same thing. Because whenever I look at you know, well, every now and then we'll go and look at some comic books that I'm looking at. But me, I like the like the old stuff, the, the best stuff from the '60s and '70s and '80s. Oh, it's like I they actually love all the Jack people. Kirby stuff. Yeah, I yeah, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, it actually told a story. You know, you felt like you were there. The art was more real. You know, Steve Ditko and Romita and all those guys. You know, it's like I, that's the stuff I like. You know, and I'm like. I, Makes me like you said. I feel like kind of an old fart now because, like you said, it's it's totally different now. You know, so yeah, it's uh, very very interesting. Just 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 from a um, the way the mind has been coached. A lot of it has to do, I think, with smartphones and social media. But the mind has been coached to just kind of want this sort of hyperkinetic stimulation. So there's no time for story to develop, and it's I, just that's a secondary thing. But I mean, look at yeah. we'll do another nerd podcast and <laughs> do a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? We, we'll uh, do it all about superheroes, and <laughs> I think that'd be fun. So, uh, just give my for my for all my listeners, just give a quick uh, spiel on yourself, where you know what you you know how you came to be, and uh, what you're doing now, and then we'll talk about your book. And then I've got a well, we could probably talk for hours, but I got a bunch of questions to ask you about the book and everything you you talked about. So, um, yeah, yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, well, uh, so I have. I have done fitness my entire life, but I, I did it always as a consumer. And uh, it started very young for me. It started with uh, when I was five with Jack O'Lane. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack O'Lane had a show. And like when you're a five-year-old kid, you know, it, it was more about like just something to do at six in the morning. And, you know, mm -hmm. he had a onesie. So I had a onesie. Mine had Tigger on it. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> and he had a horse music <laughs> and a dog. And so, yeah, I get up every morning. I'm running around jumping with Jack. And, and uh, it just it just kind of started. Then I like I was like seven years old, and I was I was like the personal trainer of my family. I was like, okay, now do this, now do this. Okay, great, now right. do this. And um, it kind of just at every point in my life there was something there. So there there was like uh, I, I wanted to be fast, and so in fifth grade I was training just training sprints during the summer when I was in fifth grade. And then I, I just happened to live in San Jose, which was um, uh, Olympic Athlete Central. It's like all of all, tons of really great athletes. Came right. from that area. And so I was around them all. And um, so they were doing, you know, Olympic lifting and, you know, clean jerks and all this junk. And so I was just, I was 12 years old, 13 years old doing all that stuff. And um, just quite by accident, I was like um, kind of an early adopter in what we call, uh, it, during that time, um, generally, like if you had muscle or if you were fit, most people thought it was disgusting. That was, right. that was kind of the thing back then. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. how's that possible? But that was the thing. Right. And um, so, long story short, I just, you know, I was a kid, and I would, I would just go to the, the bookstore and, you know, read Arnold's biography and, you know, read everything on the stands. And so I just kind of by accident wound up at the forefront of a lot of things as a consumer, not as an expert, mm. just a consumer. So right. The, right. the one that's notable that comes up is a company called Champion Nutrition. I, I was on Mark Bell's podcast, and he was talking about them. <laughs> so yeah, they, yeah. Uh, they, in the late... Uh, I think it was late 80s or early 90s, came out with uh, what were called, these were the forerunners of meal replacements. 
Right, came right. Out with a product called uh, Metabol All Two, the metabolic optimizer. And it had MCTs okay. in it. And the thing about it that, that really picked my interest was um, uh, during that era, fat was bad. So like yeah. everything, yeah. everything was no fat. Everything was like uh, and no fat. And right. on the label, they put the fatless fat. Like you can't store them as fat. And so right. I was just like, what the, how's this pot? And so I was at the UCI library trying to, you know, read up anything I could on this and learn about it. And then uh, right about that time, keto diet came out. And uh, uh, Vince McMahon started mm-hmm. a bodybuilding federation and put every, all, the, all the athletes on keto diets right. and took steroids at the same time. So right, everybody right. except Gary Stratum showed up fat. <laughs> so I kind of I kind of looked into this keto diet thing and kind of kind of gave that a whirl and um, and right about that time uh, Jeff Everson had published an article uh, talking about how he was eating one meal a day in the evenings and and when he was hungry doing this stuff called Metrax and so I got on that it was when it was in like two cans and man I got peeled yeah I remember that <laughs> yeah. yeah and uh, it worked it worked like Crazy. What, what's funny is right. um, I know their poster boy now. Uh, back then, it was a friend of mine, Yemeni Mesa, okay. who uh, was at Quest for a long time. Okay. And um, and uh, I think he. Uh, anyways, so Yemeni was the the poster boy for all that stuff. And um, I, so long story short, um, I just tripped into quite accidentally uh, what you would call time restricted feeding. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was doing that for about. Um, Probably ninety three through ninety seven, and okay. man, I was ripped. Like, like I was, a, I was a competitive track and field athlete, and so I know what very low body fat, you know, is. But I was, I was probably sub six percent for years. And what happened to me? I, I talk about my book. I just couldn't stop eating after about five years, and I, I began eating uncontrollably. And what's really funny now that the book has come out. I'm getting emails left and right from people who are coming up on like the three-year mark or the four-year mark of time-restricted feeding, and, and they're they're running right. into the same problem. Like they're just eating uncontrollably right. now. Right. So, um, but that's why I'm here. Uh, what happened with me was, um, so I, I began uh, trying to correct the overeating issues that I had from time-restricted feeding, and I tried everything. I, I so I did uh, like uh, maybe fresh whole organic is the answer. I'll do that. And so everything for a while was fresh raw whole organic. You know I did that for a few right. years. And then it was maybe macro counting is the answer. And so I did that for like a number of years. And it just all led me into this path in 2006 where um, I wound up running a technology company. And basically everything that that I knew to do uh, just required time that wasn't there. And so I, I came into that gig like really lean. I was probably six percent body fat when I came into it, just as a consumer again. And then uh, by year three, I was like 260 pounds and you know 30 percent body fat. <laughs> right. Right. So um, I, I just I got fat. And and what it really bothered me because I had always I'd given my whole life to everything I'd read and learned and and all this stuff, and I just found that. Um, there was a disconnect between ecosystems, and most of the advice that I had didn't work. When I was, if you took away, if you took away time, took it to zero, and then you took um, you took pressure through the roof, and then you just added in all these life issues like aging and all this other stuff. Um, everything I knew didn't work. It really didn't work, and that um, really bothered me a lot, a lot. And all that led to um, right. creating an offer program. Well, first, what I did was um, right about that time it was 2006. 
uh, internet marketing was really kicking on, really, really kicking on. And there were, there was basically internet marketers were just using SEO to kind of commandeer the discussion. And mm -hmm. that really bothered me because I, I knew a lot of them and I knew that most of them had knew nothing, but, but they were really good at internet marketing. Right, so I started right. this website and my only goal at the time was just to write good science articles. And um, I, I got to number two in Google for the term weight loss. I was only behind WebMD for a number of years. Nice. And so during that time, this is like 2006, 2007, um, I wrote a bunch of articles that were um, very forward thinking. One was the gut biome. And mm -hmm. uh, that was based on Dr. Jeffrey Gordon's research back in 2006. Right. And I, I started hacking, kind of using what I learned. And it, I quickly figured something out that um, um, I just wanted to like write good science and, and take all my 30 years of what I'd experienced with the mainstreaming of bodybuilding and come up with like a better way to take care of your body long term. And what I quickly right. figured out is no one cared and no one was interested. <laughs> all anybody <laughs> wanted was to lose five pounds. That's all. So I, so I created this software, and um, just got super lucky, um, super super lucky. So the software was based on what I learned on the gut biome. And our first pilot was with GNC, just to see if anybody cared, and it sold mm -hmm. pretty well. So I was like, okay, well maybe there's something here, and then yeah. um, uh, decided to sell corporate wellness, and so went after hospitals and. Uh, it took about a year, but finally bagged a hospital to do it, and it was a pretty big chain out in Pennsylvania. And uh, we had uh, over 112 doctors doing the program, medical professionals, physiologists, and results were fantastic. They did the, they did the measurements, so it wasn't us doing it. And right. numbers were really, really good. And then that led into like a really big gig with the city of Phoenix, and we had several thousand employees come through our system. And awesome. Uh, not to be too long-winded here, but um, the, the really interesting point of that is that it was really eye-opening to me um, because I never understood weight loss. I didn't understand it. I just thought, well, I don't get it. Why don't you just go work out? What, right, right. Um, but what, work out, yeah. <laughs> but what I learned from that was we did these engagements where we would have um, thousands of people, literally thousands of people at a time, um, Five, 500, 1,000 people at a time coming into like a room and, and you know, from city employees. Mm -hmm. And what I learned from that was um, a lot of them couldn't work out. A lot of them, for different reasons, uh, didn't either, just couldn't, uh, either physically mm -hmm. or they had uh, just the way the nature of their job was. It was very open. And I figured out, oh, wow, that's why you have a weight loss industry. I get it. I finally get it. Right, right. And when the light went off, um, a lot of things happened um, because I began to, to discover there were lots and lots of differences. To really help the middle of the bell curve, um, it was very, very different. And it led to a lot of things that, um, uh, it led to this approach, of, of which is the essence of the book, which is trying to hack the process to get the most out of the least amount of time. So right. and that led to a lot of other things. I wound up uh, doing some consulting with Quest Nutrition and uh, engineering mm -hmm. foods and uh, a bunch of other stuff. And long story short, it led to this book. And the reason it led to the book was um, people would ask me. Principally, what I would get asked is, um, "Hey, I, I want to lose fat. What's the best thing to do?" And my answer right. was, "Oh my gosh, don't do that." <laughs> Until and then I'd go into this 30-minute explanation, and their eyes would roll back of their heads, and I was like, "Okay." I gotta write a book, <laughs> so right, right. I gotta write this down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here we are. 
Well, that's awesome. Yeah, let's dig into that a little bit. I mean, I think um, what you hit on is something I talk a lot uh, with a lot of my, my patients, too, is like, you know, most people are inflamed or they're, it's lifestyle first, they're stressed, they're not sleeping. The foundational things, you can't lose the weight until you quiet down the inflammation and you get those stressors under control. And you talk a lot about that as well. It's that there's, a, there's an order to it, you know, fix the gut, fix the inflammation, fix this, fix that. Right. Then you worry about losing the fat. So um, I thought that was, that was cool how you laid that out there. So I guess, um, I guess let's talk about that, I guess, in terms of a framework. And obviously I want people to, to get the book, but in terms of like, we could talk about all those in, in general, but I guess I guess the most important thing is the gut and the inflammation. You talk about your inflammation spin down and like your two day uh, your two day cycle, et cetera. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that. How to like how to set the stage, I guess, for fat loss. What like what comes first? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, big idea, and probably the the maybe maybe the the biggest thing I talk about in the book is the long term cost of repeated cycles of fat loss. <clears throat> yeah, that was very interesting. The long-term net of that is something that has never really been accounted for, and uh, we really, we really don't talk about, really don't think about. But essentially, it's this: that the physiological response to when fat cells shrink, the body's uh, response in, to, in total is to refill fat cells and make it more difficult to lose. Mm -hmm. and it's a survival defense. Right. Uh, there's a number of reasons why that's true. But long story short, that's it. And so what that leads to is what we see with most people over time is a curve that looks like this, and mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a sine wave that leans upward. So, right. so, and, and these peaks and valleys can be very long. You know, they can be, you know, the, the, the peak can be five years, ten years. But what you're seeing right. over time is you're seeing this. And it's, it's, it's something we kind of have to begin to understand how does fat actually work. When, when you reduce fat cells, what are the mechanisms going on? And so I spend quite a bit of time in the book talking about that. Which, by the way, um, what's interesting is what I left out. <laughs> and the book is the kindergarten version. And yeah. there wouldn't have been a book if I had put... It was, it was so, like... I would write one sentence and be like, is that really true? And then that would lead to, like, 40 hours of, like, ah, how do I distill this? And, like, ah... And uh, it's, it's just... It's, it's mind-boggling. How complex um, our fat yeah. is. <laughs> but anyways, to the, the, the foundational thing for everything else that comes is to understand the nature of what happens when fat cells shrink is that uh, it gets into what's called mechanobiology. Mm -hmm. And mechanobiology is a growing um, understanding that programming of cells takes place from the outside in through mechanical forces, um, mm -hmm. through external force, through right. shearing stress and through traction stress and through physical traction on the cell. Right. And so, yeah. go ahead. <coughs> no, no, go ahead. I was just... Oh, okay, because I'll ramble forever. So you just gotta, you just gotta do the like, <laughs> shut up. Shut up. <laughs> you can talk, ramble on, ramble on. <laughs> but, uh, so long story short, just to dive into this a little bit, what we see with fat cells <clears throat> is they are, Fat is not fat cells. Fat is a system, and that system is comprised of a lot of things. It's comprised of very specific proteins. Um, it's comprised of uh, the extracellular matrix, which itself is comprised of very specific fibers, very specific types of fibers and different types of fibers. Right. It's comprised of um, 
what are called macrophages or immune cells, um, very specific types and populations. It's comprised of immune cells. And all of these things uh, work together. They all work together. Um, and it's like a system where the, the different knobs and dials can be configured and set to different settings. And once you get that that's really how fat works, um, then you start to become aware of how you change the dials when you initiate fat loss. Right. So when fat loss is initiated, when fat cells shrink down, <coughs> the first thing to understand is that an injury is created. And the mm -hmm. nature of the injury is prior to shrinking fat cells, you have the fat cell here, you have the extracellular matrix here, and they are bound together by very specific types of fibers. And something that's not in the book that's kind of interesting is um, if you get into this, there's even torsion bolts that are that are yeah. actually holding fat to the ECM. It's a protein okay. called vermiculin, and it uses what's called mechanotransduction. Basically, okay. it works on actomyosin filaments to sense torsion or tension okay. between the extracellular matrix and the fat cell. So the if the extracellular yeah. matrix is too stiff, then you get programming of the fat cell to tighten up, tension up the ECM uh, if it needs to break down then that, that torsion bolt actually helps to program uh, the ECM to the fat cell. So when the fat okay. cell shrinks, it pulls away from the ECM. And when that happens, the mechanical shearing stress of the fat mass, all the weight that was on the fat mass, breaks away and transfers to just the ECM. So mm -hmm. in the book, I use the analogy that if you had a house and you had brick walls, and right. your bricks shrunk from the walls, the mortar would take all the way to the house. And right. that's not a good thing. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be living no. there. <laughs> so no. the first thing to understand is that's an injury. It doesn't feel like an injury. It doesn't sound like an injury, but <clears throat> it's an injury. And when that happens, the nature of what happens is that the, um, the body goes about to repair the injury. And it's only got two options. Number one, it can refill the fat cell, so then, so then the fit is once again made complete. Or number two, it can reshape the extracellular matrix to the fat cell. Um, right, right. Neither one's a great option, really. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> They're both not good. Yeah, okay. and please stop me if I'm, I'm rambling too long. I, I will do that if you let me, so just interrupt and go. Yeah. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. I thought that was very fascinating because I'd not heard about the extracellular matrix before, and, and, and I'm sure the question comes up, okay, repeated fat, fat loss, fat gain is not good because you're repeating that injury, so how do you do it? I guess the, the key is to lose, the, lose it once and stop, right? And that's the tricky part is what it sounds like. Yeah, so what it gets us to is repeated and chronic cycling of fat mass is probably not a good thing. Mm -hmm. There's probably a very long-term cost to that. Now, is the research 100% there yet? Uh, no, it's not. Um, it's starting to bubble up. It, 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 there's an emerging view that the same things that happen in obesity may, in fact, be provoked by repeated and chronic cycling of fat mass. And, and there's a rationale to it. The rationale is if the ECM has to remodel every time we shrink fat mass, if the ECM has to remodel, the actual mechanics of what it takes to break the ECM down, the proteins, for example, matrix melatoprotease, um, mm -hmm. well then, they're the same. 
And, and there's some very interesting research uh, starting in 2010. There's a, there's a number, a few studies now that show that post-fat loss, the same characteristics of inflamed fat can be invoked by fat loss um, that are found in obesity. So in other words, with obesity, what we see is inflamed fat. Right. And inflamed fat's not good because what, what's making the fat inflamed is it's like taking a steel cage and pushing your hand against the cage. Mm-hmm. So what happens is when you push your hand against the cage, well, you can look at your hand and it's inflamed. Okay, so in obesity, right. fat begins to push out against the ECM. So the ECM in response reprograms fat cells to drive stiffer collagens into the ECM. So the ECM gets stiffer over time. So it holds fat in. But, but to get stiffer, then that right. means that it's less pliable. And that's a cancer promoter. So now there's emerging evidence that with repeated cycles of fat loss, uh, some of the same fibers that we see in obesity are deposited into the ECM. Now, it's not everybody. Uh, There are genetic differences. But just just the understanding that repeated cycles of fat loss can initiate inflamed fat itself is a game changer. Mm -hmm. That changes everything. That changes everything. That means, whoa, wait a second. Um, We've got to really think about this whole thing of like uh, yo-yo dieting and uh, being one and done with fat loss. Because if if the long-term cost of fat getting inflamed is a cancer promoter, um, we really got to look at this. So that's kind of where that takes us. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's fascinating. And I mean, obviously, we've known for a long time, of course, you know, people that, you know, lose weight, gain weight, that like you said, the yo-yo dieting, that um, people talk about metabolic set points and you know compensation, but I think the, the spin you're you know and we're you know we've learned about inflammation, right? Like you said, white fat it can be very inflammatory, which can lead to all these other issues, uh, diabetes and other inflammation and all this and that. But I think the whole what you're talking about gives a whole other layer of like you said causing damage, and it's very much an inflammatory state as well. So you have to be very careful how you approach that. It's I think it's very interesting because um, there's a paradox. Uh, Fat loss is inherently um, healing. Mm-hmm. So, so in, in the case of obesity, you know, we can measure like very specific parameters and say, wow, okay, so uh, this is improved, that's improved, that's improved, that's improved. Wow, fantastic. Okay, great. Problem solved. But right. um, if we start to map time out and we go, well, wait a second, wait a second, we see, we see this bump and it looks very, very possible. But as we begin to push downstream in time and, and look down the road, what's going on? And, mm-hmm. and that's where it gets really interesting. There's, there's some very good research, um, a number of different studies now in the maintenance phase and looking at different types of genes that activate well after fat loss. Um, I think in my book I used the example of um, fatty acid binding protein 4 um, mm-hmm. as, a, as a prominent example. And what we see is kind of a paradox. Like <clears throat> some of the genes that are required to activate in order to get the fat off seem to be a problem long term um, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's really, really an issue. So all this takes us into this complete rethink of fat and what to do to get it off and maintain it and what I attempted to do in the book was sort of present a new framework for that where it's more of a whole body health and what we're doing in the process is the old paradigm is, hey, that's just stored energy, we just got to lose it. The new paradigm is that, mm, wait, <coughs> fat is really under the umbrella of immunity and whole body health and even, even cancer prevention. And, and that's a different combo. It's a very different combo. <coughs> and there's very good reasons to believe that's true. Very good reasons uh, to think mm-hmm. that that might be true. So. 
Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because that's something I've learned within the last uh, year or two myself in terms of the role of the immune system and uh, in addition to inflammation, uh, inflammation in the body, you know, how they're all connected, how uh, you know, I learned about a lot of my patients I'll treat with inflammatory disorders or metabolic syndrome, et cetera, and, you know, they're inflamed. So, you know, you talk about that switching from that macrophage phenotype from M2 to M1 and vice versa, you know, that, that resonates. And uh, I definitely want to talk about that with the uh, with the macrophages, the, the yeah. um, you know, the, you were talking talk a lot about pexophagy. That was a whole new concept as well. And I thought that was very interesting too. But I guess just for the listeners, I guess from uh, uh, order of operations, I think I liked how you had little steps along the way. And I think yeah, yeah. Number, number one and two, in my mind, they were always to kind of fix the gut, uh, yep. get the inflammation down. So you have a couple couple cool little steps in there. I don't know if you want to talk about any of those or leave that for the book, but um, those are I think those are important. So uh, I laid out a framework in the book for um, – for getting rid of fat <clears throat> and doing it permanently and making it work under the umbrella of how, how things really seem to work now. And the center of that right. are immune cells, um, specifically a type of cell called a macrophage. Um, for the audience, uh, a macrophage is a type of immune cell. Um, basically, macro means big, phage means eater, so they kind of clean up stuff. <clears throat> they're, they're, the, they're the SEAL team that shows up <clears throat> when infection <clears throat> first uh, first takes, takes hold and so they initiate inflammation. <clears throat> that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. The problem is when they don't go away, that's the problem. Um, they need to go away and then a different type of macrophage um, called the M2 phenotype is supposed to come in and then that initiates the resolution of inflammation. And <clears throat> so when you start to look in, in, into immunology and you start to look at uh, treatments and, and therapies and drugs and things, they all seem to revolve around, the future of this is around controlling populations of macrophages and immune cells because the net effects of what they control in terms of signaling, in terms of inflammatory signaling, is so pervasive and affects so many systems in the body that, that there's, good, there's good evidence to think uh, this could be a master control mechanism. Populations of immune cells may just be a master control mechanism for the rest of the body. And when we get to the gut, again, there's very good reason to think this is probably true because we can initiate um, different types of protocols on the gut and quickly see massive differences across the whole body in terms of inflammation. So the thing to understand is, in my book I talk about a thing called steering macrophages. Mm -hmm. And really it's a, it, I present it as a skill. I present the idea that this is, a, this is like reading or driving. It's just something you should learn uh, if you want to maintain your body over the long term. You need to learn what they are and how to steer them. And the way you steer right. macrophages is tissue by tissue. So there, there's not a one-size-fits-all prescription. But if we start to look at the most important tissues, we start in the gut. And when we look at the gut, <coughs> there is the largest population of macrophages in the entire body. And it's just under the gut lining. It kind of makes sense. Like, yep. that's where things get first get into the body. Like, if, if an invader right. is going to get in the body, it's in the gut. So that makes sense. We need to have an army there. So when we look in the gut, what we see is um, just under the gut lining, you have, a, uh, you have a tissue called the lamina propia, and in there you have just this army of macrophages, army of macrophages. And what you see with conditions, like gut dysbiosis or colitis or all these conditions, is that army is flipped to the... The, the killers, the, the M1 macrophage phenotype mm -hmm. um, in those conditions, meaning all the inflammatory macrophages are mobilized. And what we see when we resolve that problem is those populations flip again. 
and we see the uh, balance restored of the anti-inflammatory M2 macrophages in the gut lining. So there's good reason to think that, we, number one, we can steer populations of immune cells, and number two, that in doing so, massive things are possible. Pro-inflammation pro, pro resolving benefits are possible. And the coolest part about all of that is like it's easy. You can prove it today. <laughs> you can prove yeah. this stuff yeah. fast. Like it, you don't you don't need uh, you don't need like a, a long long time to do this. It's very easy to implement protocols and quickly see that. Oh my gosh! Wow. Uh, in fact, I, I have a, a a guy that I'm working with right now just came to me because he saw me on a podcast, and we were dealing with uh, cravings as as a target, and because he just had these uncontrollable cravings. I'm like, ha, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> we just got to steer the gut. He's on day four now, and like for the first time in, in years, he's not devouring Snicker bars at dinner. He's like, awesome. this is incredible. Awesome. My cravings are going away. I'm like, mm, it's because the gut communities are so rapidly modifiable, and in doing so, all these signals can be rapid, rapidly changed. So when it comes to inflammation, the gut lining is the first place we start, and that's the first place we start for body fat. That's different from the old way of thinking. The old way of thinking is, well, great, get on the treadmill, download your FitPal app, you know, and do stuff. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a quick overview of just sort of the first step. The first step is we need to get control of the macrophages in the gut lining. That's the first step of body fat in the new paradigm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's a great approach, you know, because like you said, you, you want to get to the, the core the core of the problem and, and healing the gut, you know, quieting things down and then start working on it. Like you said, I, I think you maybe talked about in the book where people just too much, like you said, just attack the gym or they're, they're going to eat less and they're just, they're just causing more damage and inflaming their body. They're, 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 they're stressing themselves out and it's just a vicious cycle. And that's not the way to, clearly that doesn't work. <laughs> so, um, you same thing with fasting. You know, we talked about fasting too. I mean, a lot of people do well with it, but some people don't do so well. And then, as you mentioned, if you're not, if you're inflamed or you're not sleeping or you're having cravings, then you probably need to fix some things before you try fasting, you know. Um, you know everybody's got a unique solution. 100%, yeah. Um, what we're, I think, I, I think what, I, what I have experienced for myself to be true and what I present in the book is the idea that order of operations matters um, a lot. Like, like it's mm -hmm. kind of everything. That, yeah. that we can't, you can't, if you want to bake a cake, you have to you have to bake the ingredients in the right order, and that there really is a master order of operations for the body. And um, with respect to inflammation, one of the most powerful things we can do is we can learn to steer populations of macrophages. We start in the gut, and then the very next population center we want to go to is fat mass, and they're connected. Mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. inflammatory state of the gut is connected to the inflammatory state of your fat, and right. it's mediated by macrophages. Um, macrophages from the gut have an affinity for fat mass. And if the one is inflamed, the other is probably going to be inflamed. Um, something that, that I've, I've seen quite a bit is I have seen um, people that you probably think of as super fit, like, you know, icons, like, like that dude, mm -hmm. wow, oh, wow. Right, and, right. Um, they'll come to me, and their guts are in bad shape. Like bad, 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 bad shape, and sure. the, the 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 they're, they're using things that help them to get really lean, 
but in the process, uh, the gut's getting destroyed. And yeah. so there's this very unhealthy thing going on here for appearance sake. Um, and there's, there's a different way to get there, and, and, it's, and it's healthy, and it's thinking about inflammation and macrophages and how to steer those things. And what that takes us into is not just fat loss, it takes us into using all of these things to actually age slower. That's mm -hmm. like the mind-blowing thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The conversation shifts. It's not just fitness now. Now it's about, hey, wait, if I can control uh, immune cells, I can probably age quite a bit slower. And, and that, mm -hmm. that is like, whoa, wait, really? Let's do a podcast. Hey, wait, we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think that's what people want, right? They want to live better, live longer, live healthier, and look good too. But if you could combine all those somehow, and they're all, as you mentioned, they're all connected. Um, you know, the immune system is definitely related to everything. You know, we, our thymus involutes. We lose our immunity. We, we, our, our uh, mitochondria lose a function. They become less efficient. We get less efficient at burning fat. You know, it throws everything out of whack. So, you know, if you could treat that at the, at the cellular level, that's that's how you do it. You know, fix the fix the little machines, fix the little cells, the micro, you know, the you know, the mitochondria, etc. First, and then everything in the gut, and then everything else will kind of build off of that. So. Um, yeah, so that's that's interesting. You, you, I think for for most people, I mean, I think you're right. I think most people, um, instead of doing the probiotics and the fasting, they should you know fix the gut, heal the gut. And I, you you put some really cool, actionable tips in the book. You know, things like with apple skins and building up the right profile, like the acromancy and things of that nature. Um, and I think the core of uh, the book is your you know your two day we call it, I think your two day core and your uh, amplified fast. And if you, know, if you want to, how much you want to give away, but if you want to touch on that a little bit, I think that'd be probably a good place for a lot of people to start if they're reasonably healthy. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's a long story short. When you when you get into holistic health and you start looking at doctors such as yourself who who are who are really making progress with cancer and who are knocking it out of the park, um, what you'll find pretty quick is that um, there are doctors who are more or less putting patients on plant-based therapies for things, mm -hmm. and it's working. Like, wow, it's working. Yeah. And then there are doctors who are kind of more in the keto space, going keto diet therapies, right. and it's working. You know, to some degree, it's working. Um, and that's very interesting because they seem to be sort of opposite. They seem to be kind mm -hmm. of opposed approaches. Right. But in fact, they're actually quite complementary. Um, what I get into in the book is that um, <clears throat> we can, when we begin to take the whole picture into account, there's several factors. Number one is timing. And so we get into schools of thought called uh, chronoimmunology, uh, chrononutrition, mm -hmm. chronobiology. We get into all these sort of things that are valid concepts in, in drug therapy. Um, in a number of emerging fields. They're, they're very, very valid concepts. So I'm going to take that into account. And then we get mechanistic in nature and we look at like, well, wait a sec. Um, if we want to fast, why? Why are we fasting? What's, what am I getting from it? And, and you look at that and it's, well, because you're going to induce autophagy. Okay, well, doesn't that happen during sleep? Uh, yeah, it does. Um, okay, what about uh, MK activation? Do we get that? Um, do we get the youth-promoting... Uh, sets of genes and signal pathways going, well, yeah, but they also take place during sleep. So you get into this whole rationale of like, well, wait a sec, if your sleep isn't A1 goal, why should you fast? Why would you right. do that? Because it's more powerful. All those benefits are stronger during sleep because right. they are in the natural home of the body's diurnal rhythm. And so, right. so suddenly you get into this very passionate, powerful rationale of like, wait a second, 
uh, timing's kind of everything. It kind of matters. Why don't we take that into account first? <laughs> so once you do that, and, and you look at like that whole picture, what immediately stands out <coughs> is what's called the genetic rush hour. And basically mm -hmm. there's a thousand plus genes that more or less activate in the deep stretch of the night, and they just happen to be the most important genes involved in keeping the body young. And there seems to be a very strong connection with those genes and, um, and what goes on in the gut in terms of production of butyrate and bacteria in the gut, and that they seemed, the one seems to potentiate and mimic the other. And, mm -hmm. and it gets very fascinating very fast. So when you look at like, well, wait a second. So if the gut is optimal and, and the gut has optimal levels of butyrate, uh, butyrate is um, by itself what's called an HDAC inhibitor, meaning that it's mm -hmm. helping DNA to be better read, which is fantastic. That's what we want from fasting. Um, right, but butyrate right. by itself also um, interacts with these youth signal pathways, interacts with AMPK and CERT1 and all these things. And so when you look at this, and you go, wait a second, um, it's entirely doable to amplify the benefits that we see from fasting, but just do it during sleep. Right, right, so right, 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 right. And how do you do that? Well, <clears throat> the best way to make butyrate is through uh, very specific types of fibers that feed very specific bacteria, primarily the phytobacteria and acromantia. So all those things together bring us to this place of like, okay, in a two-day sequence, <clears throat> what we can do is we can pre-amplify the most healing, most life-giving, uh, most life-extending bacteria in the body, acromantia and bifidobacteria on day one. And then those bacteria and their interactions and uh, downstream with production of the metabolite butyrate really potentiate all the things we want during the genetic rush hour. So we're timing production of bacteria to max induction of all the genes that keep you young in the middle of the night. And when we do that, what we look at is kind of this perfect storm for everything that you'd want to get to keep the body young. And in the following day, on day two, we can take some very simple fasting protocols and amplify those. We can use small molecules to do that. We can use very specific feeding patterns. And when we take a step back and look at this sort of framework, <clears throat> what, gets, what gets fascinating is, A, it's easy. In fact, it's easier than just about anything else because you literally can do the whole thing on the go. You don't have to meal prep. Right. And B, uh, it's very modular in nature. Um, it happens to just by the nature of what it is, um, mostly offset getting off the reservation. So if, you know, like at night on day one you had cheesecake and ice cream, well, most of that is offset um, previously during the day and, and, and the following day. So, it, so there's this framework for peak human health that I introduced in the book, just using feeding patterns timed to the body's daily rhythm mm -hmm. to maximize production of all the things that keep us young, and then you have to fast very little. And that is really cool because what's not generally known is that fasting disrupts sleep. Yeah. So yeah. sleep cycles can be controlled by feeding patterns. And so that's the, that's the basis of the two-day core pattern in the program. Mm -hmm. What's interesting in this day and age is um, it pisses a lot of people off. <laughs> it pisses people off because, you know, we're in this age of, like, polarized polarized thinking of tribes. So, you know, one tribe is all carnivore, one tribe is all keto, one tribe is right. all, like, plants. And it's all my way. It's all my way only, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's something in that for everybody to hate. <laughs> so, 
One side is like, ah, my gosh, there's fibers now. Ah. Another side is like, ah, you've got meat in there. Ah. And um, right. <laughs> what I would argue to the uh, antagonized uh, tribe, tri uh, tribe member <laughs> is that, um, that uh, we are in an era that a future era will look back on and go, what were you guys thinking? Um, mm. as what's, missing is, what's missing is balance. And, and balance yeah. is yep. true about how your body works. So uh, the two-day pattern is designed to, um, it's designed for function. It's designed to maximize uh, timing and production of the life-giving, extending sets of genes during the genetic rush hour, and then make it where, at the same time, you can live in the real world without having to meal prep and be extremely healthy and be on the go, right. and at the same time, get the benefits of fasting without having to fast a lot. And that's all that's in there. That, that's all, mm -hmm. put, all, that's, all that chocolatey goodness is in there. So. <laughs> you do, and you do that typically once or twice a week, every week, um, kind of mix it up a little bit? Me personally, I live on it. I live on it, yeah. Um, but the cool thing, so I'm always doing it. It's just, it's just the foundation of my life. Um, yep. The cool thing is that it's, um, it's modular in nature. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, me personally, I just look at function, and I look at, like, um, I, don't care whether, I don't care whether it's a plant or whether it's uh, meat or whether it's dairy. I don't, I don't really care about that. All I, care, I don't care about the words. I care about what are the functional aspects of this and what, when, and how can I use those things. So, and, and when you look at food that way, everything's functional. Mm -hmm. Everything's functional. So uh, plants have tons and tons and tons of unique benefits, unique aspects to them. And when used outside of the baby talk of like plants are good, meat's bad, plants, plants are bad, meat's good, when, when you get away from that, uh, plants are functional. Like there's highly, highly functional aspects to them that selectively used and timed confer great benefit to the body. Meat is incredibly functional. I mean, mm -hmm. other foods do not have the power that meat has to do several things, to right. induce muscle growth and all kinds of things. So meat's functional. Um, dairy is incredibly functional. All these things are functional. And so when you begin to look at food that way, it's just it, the analogy that I've used on other shows before is um, that Right now, it's kind of like 1992, where you know one dude's taking kung fu, another dude's taking you know jujitsu, another dude's into boxing, and they're all like, ah, my kung fu's better than yours, you know. Right. But right. We're, we're about to come into the era of mixed martial arts, where it's like, mm, no, jujitsu's useful, boxing's useful, uh, kicking's oh, useful. They're yeah. all useful, and yeah. and that's what the two-day core pattern does. Is it just takes everything into this sort of mixed martial arts kind of analogy, where everything's useful. We can yeah. use all. Yeah, they're all tools. It's a just in, uh, how you use them, right? You know, I think you talked about that. It's not just one thing. It's what, when, how. It's context. It all, that's what matters, you know. So you don't, you, uh, yeah, I'm like you. I'm, I'm all about balance, and I think mixing things up, you know, maybe I'll, you know, if you do a certain thing for a few days, maybe do something different for a few days or a week or a month, and then try something different, you know, stress the body, but in a balanced way, not polarized, you know, where you consist, consistently, I mean, I've, I've, known, I've known a lot of people who just stick with whatever, keto or whatever consistently, and they get in trouble, so I think you've you got to have balance, and you've got to keep mixing it up, just like when you work out, change it up a little bit, keep the body guessing, you know, you, you adapt and overcome, so. Um, There's a very interesting, um, um, <laughs> actually, that's kind of self-serving, <laughs> there's an article <laughs> I wrote, it's very interesting, highly interesting, <laughs> there's an article I wrote uh, in 2007, where um, I, I looked at all the evidence for different types of diets that were completely opposed. Mm -hmm. and, and I basically like summarized 
the net of it was that you had diets that were completely different. So you had one that was high carb, um, low fat. Then you had one that was high fat, low carb. One that was high plant, um, you know, no animal products. The other that was high animal products, no, no plants. And they all had the same results. They were all able to induce massive results in body composition. And <clears throat> putting, I'm a big proponent of reason and empiricism as the best way to parse reality. So that it, like if we want to be sane, probably should be reasonable, like it makes sense. Like, <laughs> like when you abandon reason, what's left is insanity. Hey, let's be crazy. Sure, no, how about not? Um, <laughs> sanity's bad. Reason is good. Uh, so if we put on our empirical hats for a second, we can pose two questions. We can say, okay, well, uh, number one, it may be that the diets themselves exert unique effects on body composition. That may be the case. Alternatively, it may be the case that changes and variations in diet are what get the result and not the diet itself. And both, po both posits may be equally true. We don't know. And mm -hmm. I can only tell you what I, I've experienced. Going down that road and spending a number of years trying to see what's true, I've experienced that um, it, it's about half and half of both. Mm -hmm. Unique diets do confer unique benefits, uh, but they also confer unique drawbacks. And right. more importantly, though, changes in the diet, seasonality and variation, induce effects that are as powerful as the diets themselves. So in today's world, you can go find someone who's on a carnivore diet, and they will go, uh, bro, you didn't know. I went on a carnivore diet, and I got ripped, and it's amazing, and I've never had these results before, ever. And then you can find someone on a plant-based diet that's like, no, 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 you don't get it. I've gone plant-based for a year now. My whole body's changed. I've never felt better. And then you can find someone on a keto diet. It's like, no, you guys are all wrong. I've done the keto diet for a year and a half now, and I've never been able to lose weight, and now look at me. <clears throat> and so what you get to is like, wow, they all seem to work. What's going on? And part of it is changes in the diet <laughs> get the results, not the diet itself. Right, so. right. Yeah, I think you touched on the beginning of the book, the, uh, the seasonality. Now, do you, do you change up your routine uh, with the seasons or the time of the year uh, much, or kind of stick with the, kind of the core? And just you know, I know some people say, oh yeah, I'd eat more fruits in the summer, but not so much in the winter because that's the normal rhythm, etc. But again, it kind of depends on where you know where you live, where you came from, etc. But what's your take on that? Well, me per well, I'll give you a me personally, and then I'll give uh, kind of what I believe is sort of a blanket answer. But um, me personally, I'm always on the core two-day pattern that's in my book, but it's highly modular in nature. So there will be seasons where um, I, I add more, more steak, more meat. There are seasons where I'm a little more plant-based. There are seasons where I'm, I'm a little more what you would call keto-centric. Um, there are seasons where I'm on an anti-cancer protocol just for three weeks because it's good. And, and it looks right. very much fasting and keto, but then there's other seasons where I'm overeating, I'm eating a ton. Um, and then there's just seasons where I don't care what I eat, you know, but I'm, but I'm using, I'm always in that foundational pattern. So even if I don't care what I eat, um, like for, I'll, I'll, I'll follow like the modules, like the morning module is uh, typically dark fruits and um, very specific types of nuts. And then lunch, you know, if I have a hamburger, I have a hamburger. Dinner, if I went out to dinner and socialized and, you know, ate whatever, then I, I did that. But then the following day, I'm back on the fasting component of it. So I'm always on it. It's just a question of how much variance. What I've personally right. seen is that anytime you eat any food too long, you're going to get an allergy. Like, like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, like, it could be chicken. If you eat chicken around the clock, year after year, eventually the body's going to get a bit of an allergy to it. 
um, mm -hmm. steak. It doesn't matter what it is, plants. It could be anything. But um, and a very interesting kind of takeaway um, to riff on for a second. So the blanket answer is, I personally believe that seasons are essential. And I think there's good reason to believe that. Um, when you look at, um, we're in this era of what I call the ancestral narrative. And the mm -hmm. ancestral narrative is not science. It's just a story. But we tell ourselves these stories and we think they're true. Right, right. And right, I right. Use, you know, like, hey, I'm guilty too. We all, we all use them. But we have to kind of know that well, they're stories. Those are stories. They're not, it's not, right. not science. They're, they're subject right. to change. Right. Um, I actually, uh, I, I have researched every study ever done on ancestral populations, and <clears throat> some very interesting things bubble up. Number one, they're not based on direct observation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're based on inference. They can't be. Right. Uh, if you look at the major studies that were done in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, basically the researchers looked at the foods that were in the area that were available to eat and just said, well, that's what they must have ate. Okay, maybe, maybe you're right, but a lot of lot of room, a lot of room for things to be wrong there. Yeah. Um, as an exercise, I went down where I live to uh, the Mission San Juan Capistrano, and mm -hmm. they have the diet that the Indians ate on the wall. And I actually, I'll send it to you. I took pictures of it. Yeah. And yeah. when you look at Native Indians, basically ancestral populations. I mean, they they never evolved into metalworking. They never got out of the Stone Ages. Okay. Right. Right. What you see is the diet's incredibly varied. Like, it's, it's really varied. Like, yeah, they ate a lot of meat. They ate a lot of, like, um, deer and, uh, you know, uh, coyotes and seals and things like that, even whales. But they also right. ate tons of berries. Um, they made, uh, they, they, from nuts and acorns, they made a carb source that they could have on hand all the time in case food was scarce. And right. we, we get in this idea that <clears throat> it, it makes a lot of sense that, because there weren't refrigerators back then, that the season, seasons and seasonality with the diet were just kind of forced upon us, mm -hmm. and that variation in the diet is very beneficial to the body long term. So that's, that's yeah. kind of the big answer. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great answer. That's kind of the philosophy I kind of subscribe to as well. Just, um, I wanted to ask you, too, about your research on... Um, HIF or hypoxic inducing factor. That was that was very interesting as well. You talked about um, you know offloading or lowering it at, at obviously at night to help with sleep, but then kind of bumping up a bit during exercise in a very particular way. So I wanted to, to pick your brain a little bit about that as well in terms of what you found and where you know where you, know, where you found it and like tell me I guess your your spin on that. I thought that was a unique uh, a unique take. I'm familiar with uh, HIF more for more on the metabolic side of things in terms of. MTOR and AMPK, but this, that was kind of a different spin I'd not heard of before. I'd love to hear you talk about that. Uh, sure. So for the audience, um, your, your body makes uh, a, a set of uh, proteins when it doesn't get enough oxygen. It's called HIF or hypoxia-inducible factor. And the, the protein has three isoforms, um, so it's got hypoxia-inducible factor one, two, three. Um, Hypoxia-inducible factor one is what we see in the cytosol, um, so we see it kind of in the cellular milieu. And what you have to know about HIF is that it's very difficult to um, understand energy metabolism without it. Uh, it's very difficult to really completely understand the mitochondria without understanding HIF. It's, it's so ingrained in the function of uh, energy production, insulin production, 
all these various aspects of metabolism that, and, and it kind of makes sense, that the way that the body is very much like the engine of a car, the body takes in oxygen and it marries oxygen to, you know, uh, fuel sources and then we get combustion within cells. So the presence of oxygen or the lack of oxygen is kind of central to the machine working the way it's supposed to work. So what you see with uh, this protein, with HIF1, is that it, it has what I call duality. Um, it, it's good, but it's also bad. Mm -hmm. It can be good, it can be bad. Where it's good, right. it is, um, it's, it's very good in specific uh, instances and cases where you want it. Like you, you definitely want HIF1 post-workout. The more research uh, we see on HIF1 post-workout, we see that mm, more of this protein sort of at the end of a workout, the better you recover. So that's, mm -hmm. that's a good thing. And there's simple exercises I put in the book. You can, you yep. can do them and you get more HIF1 and all good. Right. All good. Uh, it's good in the dermis. It's good in the dermis of the skin. So if you, have, um, if you have hypoxia in the dermis, it actually sort of has a hormetic effect and it helps the skin rejuvenate. Um, mm -hmm. Where it's horrific is during sleep and with sleep hypoxia. Yeah. And what we see with um, very specific cases of hypoxia is that you get this, um, with apnea, <coughs> it's very, very interesting. What you get is a, um, you, you get an effect where <coughs> you get these, when, when lack of oxygen during sleep is present or sleep apnea, um, when those things are present, in, in the cell what you get is the saturation, desaturation reactions. Okay, because you're, mm -hmm. you're getting oxygen, you're not getting oxygen. And so HIF1 essentially uh, via the mTOR pathway gets upregulated and there's some proteins in there, um, Hippel von Lando protein and uh, a couple other proteins in there that sort of make HIF1 hang around a little longer. And what happens is <coughs> the more these oxygenation desaturation reactions are happening sort of in this wonky way because of hypoxia, you see right. levels of HIF start to pick up and start to get chronically elevated. Now, that's, right. that's horrible. Yeah, Normally what happens when HIF-1 is made within cells is it's ubiquinated and it's just dissipated within a few minutes, and that's great. Mm -hmm. But when, when you have C apnea and hypoxia, HIF-1 starts to chronically rise, and then you get this condition called pseudohypoxia. Mm -hmm. And when this happens, HIF-1 will translocate into the nucleus, and in the nucleus, it's a major, major gene activator. Particularly, um, it's involved in activating genes in the endothelium, and it, it sort of potentiates the what's called the epithelial and mesenchymal transition, and, and we don't want to do that in the in the epithelium. That's a major cancer promoter. So excess HIF1, uh, particularly from sleep apnea and sleep hypoxia, um, basically is a major cancer promoter. And wherever, right. for the most part, wherever you see, you're going to see excess amounts of HIF1. So and it makes sense. So you have yeah. lack of oxygen, um, excess amounts of, of this protein, uh, gene activation of nothing that's good. And in my book, I, I sort of used macrophages and HIF-1 kind of as your sort of master immune regulators. Right. And what we see with um, HIF-1 is that it's very much present wherever macrophages are. So wherever you find inflammatory macrophages, you're going to find excess HIF-1. And this is particularly true in fat mass. When you begin to look at your fat mass and you look at like dysregulated fat mass, <coughs> what you're going to see is you're going to see HIF1 and you're going to see M1 macrophages. And it's for a very good reason. Um, the macrophages, the M1, the M2, um, they compete for arginine. And so when arginine is available, 
the M2 macrophages will make use of it and they will proliferate and help resolve inflammation. So this is kind of that aspect of like growth hormone or arginine that where you kind of get a healing effect. But then the right. other thing starts to happen. Um, the inflammatory macrophages also can make, uh, make uh, from, from arginine, can produce nitric oxide and nitric oxide creates this loop where essentially what it does is it makes use of citrulline and reuses citrulline to make more nitric oxide. And so over time, in your fat mass, you get this sort of inflammatory effect going on and you'll find HIF1 right. present. So sorry for the bile babble. That was a little deeper than most people care to go, but <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. probably good to do once. And then basically let's make it really simple and say that um, uh, long term, there's a, there's a protein called HIF1 you should learn about and it's very easy to spin it up or spin it down. Uh, you spin it up with um, apnea, snoring, and lack of oxygen during sleep, and those are easy to fix, very easy fixes, yeah. and those fixes are probably more powerful than anything else you can do. I would be yeah. number one, so. Yep, for sure, for sure. You talk you a little bit about, like, I, just, I, I won't shut up, I'll just rant. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine, totally fine. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, too, you talk about, you know, feast and famine cycles, too, and, and certain ways, too kind of end your two-day with or extend it a little bit and then kind of throw in a feast at the end, especially if you're looking to maybe you want to put on some muscle or you want to bulk up a little bit. So um, I thought that was kind of uh, nice how you did that as well. Similar to how people fast and then they'll go on a, uh, they'll eat, but you got to be careful doing it that way because then you could binge too much. Uh, so I, I got a, some good comments. Anything else you want to talk about feast and famine cycles or ways to cycle that, cycle that kind of routine throughout the week or the month? Well, you messed up. You asked me a question. Here comes 20 minutes of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and keep it to five. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, make the, <laughs> I make the case in the book that um, the modern era of, of weight loss and fat loss is accidentally replicating feast and famine cycles. Yeah. And we just don't know it. But long story short, uh, getting in shape we, we have all these cool words we stick on it. We call it, you know, I got in shape, fat loss, intermittent fasting, I did all this cool stuff. But all your body sees is that fat cells shrunk. That's all the body sees. Yep. And shrinking fat cells to the body have very specific, very measurable responses. Most of them are designed to put weight back on because it's a starvation defense. And in the modern era, we do this thing called getting off track. And that just means that, you know, you got in shape, but then you just got off track and, you, you know, you, and quote, unquote, you need to get back into it. You hear that a lot? Right. I just, I got I to get back into it. I just got to get back into it. You hear that? I do. I do. Yep. <laughs> the get back into it is accidentally mimicking uh, seasons of feasting. And so what mm -hmm. we are unwittingly and sort of unknowingly doing is mimicking feast and famine cycles. The long-term effect of feast and famine cycles is to make the body really good at defending against starvation, which we call fat loss or getting in shape. And so what you see mm -hmm. over time is that in your 20s and 30s, you, you did a get in shape program at work. You look fantastic. Um, but the results start to diminish over time. And by the time you get your 40s and 50s, you have a very hard time getting in shape. And part of, the, part of what's driving that is not just age. It's, it's the mechanobiology of losing fat, but it's also that you are mimicking seasons of feast and fasting and the body adapts to whatever you throw at it. So it's getting really good at defending itself from you trying to starve it to death. And, and, and that's, there's, there's ancient, ancient programming that's kicking in. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the first part of that, that 
that the, uh, the viewer just wants to become aware of. The next part of that is that we need periodic feasting and that I don't believe that you can maintain weight without periodic feasting and that there's, there's actually quite a bit of um, research now showing that uh, periodic feasting is very, very good for weight maintenance. Yeah. It, it's very good for sure. um, not just weight maintenance, but also there's periods when you, you really want to add some muscle here and there because yeah. the age-related loss of muscle is tied to acceleration of the aging process by a, a number of things that I talk about. So all of it to say, big picture, um, it's a big rethink, I guess, is the best way to put it. So yeah, yeah. Do you ever, do you ever uh, fast at all yourself or just kind of do what you do to amplify your fast at night or recommend patients do it or you, do you kind of mix it in every now and then? What's your, do you have many clients do that or not at all? Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, me personally, I, I, I have really damaged myself from years of that stuff, um, yeah, sure. and it's difficult. My, my, my trained-in reaction in my body to um, hunger from fasting is very strong now, so I don't, yeah. I don't do it that much. Um, I might do like a 10-hour like a fast at the most, but I usually I don't fast more than a few hours, and I don't really need to. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You'll see that too. Uh, what I've seen over time is that when you're younger, uh, it's very easy very easy to go long periods without food, but as you get older and you keep taking the body through that, to use just some loose analogies, the body kind of wisens up and gets smart and, and makes it much harder to fast longer if you've done it a lot prior. Um, but every now and then I'll mix one in. Yeah, is the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't... I don't go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish up. I, I, don't, I don't like long-term sustained fasts. Um, if... if if people are going to do them, then they need to know how to offset the body's adaptive response to that. And the body's yeah. adaptive response is to upregulate eating because it thinks you're trying to starve. So. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, obviously, I rec highly recommend uh, reading your book. It, it was a, a trove of information, but I guess for listeners out there to kind of pique their interest, any, any quick actionable tips? You Say you've got a 40-something-year-old uh, guy or, or, or even a woman because they're a little more hard, they're a little more difficult, and you're trying to Trying to lose the weight, what are some couple good first couple steps? I know you had a, a couple, I like your tips with the, the, the apple skins and different things resetting your gut, but what are a couple actionable things that someone could implement today to, to kick off that inflammation and uh, help with the fat loss? Anything you want to talk about? Yeah, so number one thing you want to do is um, you want to begin to target the bacteria in your gut, Acromantia mucinilfa. And Acromantia mucinilfa is what controls your gut barrier. And there's some very simple ways you can do that. The prescription I use, in, uh, I hate to use that word, sorry. Uh, the directive I give in the book is you, you can start with, uh, you can start with the skins sorry. of apple. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, I, had a, I had a guest here. I, I guess they were just leaving, so I was just saying bye real quick. So. <laughs> oh, no worries. No worries. Uh, what, what I give in the book is that uh, you can start with the skins of apples. Super mm -hmm. easy to do. Like, super easy. Um, right. Basically, take the skins of two to four apples and just in the morning start to uh, start to eat those. And what it is is the uh, the pectin in the skins is one of the one of the ways you can feed Agrimantia mucinilfa. Um, so that's that's kind of like an easy, simple first step. Um, yep. And the next step is in conjunction with that, you want to feed bifidobacteria. So an easy, simple first step you can do is in the mornings you want to begin to have dark fruits, dark phenols. I would combine those with um, walnuts. Walnuts stimulate adiponectin, so you're going to sensitize insulin. So dark fruits would be things like raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, you know, all, all good, all things that are really good. 
And so having those in the AM uh, is the first step to feed the fiddle bacteria. Um, if you have issues with those types of foods, you get a little bloating. Um, what you would do is start small and then work your way up. And there's a concept I put forth in the book that the foods that give you the problems make the bacteria that solve the problems. <laughs> right, right. So you have to train in the ability to handle those. So those are two simple, easy steps that I would give. Yeah, I like that. And yeah, and the apple skin thing, you could probably do that uh, uh, every day, I would imagine. I mean, nothing wrong with that. So, uh, it okay. doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you, do you, uh, I know you talk about your, in terms of like uh, exercise, you know, obviously a lot of people go overboard, do too much and stress the body out. I think you, you know, your integrated inter interval you caught or just minimal things throughout the day, I think is a, is a cool little concept, especially if someone's got a tight schedule. But, um, I don't know if you, if you want to talk about that, or do you do any mix in every your your quote unquote typical workout throughout the week or throughout the month yourself personally too, or just stick with those those intervals? Uh, most most of what I do is what's called I call it in the book the integrated interval, and mm -hmm. um, it's it's uh, basically long story short it's it's just 20 second intervals, and they're integrated throughout my day with no warm up, no change of clothes, and just whatever I'm wearing and doing I do them. Um, and the, the net of the integrated interval is, is shocking. Like, it's astounding what you can do with it. Um, I yeah. use the example in the book, which, is, which anybody can prove. Um, when I first started doing it, I just did pull-ups. And I just, I got a pull-up rack, I put it, you know, in my, in my doorway. And I, like, okay, I'm embarrassed to say, but I was, I was crapping out around three or four. Within yeah. about two weeks, I was doing 15 to 20 anytime, anywhere, no warm-up. And... Yeah. So the point I make in the book is that um, what we our modern contrivance of working out is not not the same thing as daily exertion. Right. Um, you must exert yourself daily. You must. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to try and fit it into working out, you're never going to succeed because it's, it's like trying to go to the dentist three times a week. It's too time intensive. Um, <laughs> right. So what, what I do a lot of is I focus a lot on on sprints because um, I, I I subscribe to the belief that any behavior tied to survival conserve, confers the maximum reward on the body. Right. So I focus on sprints because the ability to go from zero to a full sprint with no warm-up, it's something only kids and teenagers can do. And as right. long as you can do that, then the body's fairly young. And so what I'll do is I'll just be fully dressed and just walk outside and go for 150 meters, full blast, yeah, and just go right yeah. back to work. Like, there's no warm-up. There's no changing clothes, or just, I just go and do it, and I'll do, you know, uh, depending on how my body feels, I'll do a couple, two, three of those in a day, so. Yeah. The integrated yeah. interval is probably the, uh, apart from sleep apnea stuff, uh, like, what I would say to someone is, like, the number one thing you can do. And then yeah. I, I get a good old-fashioned bodybuilding workout in usually once a week, so. Yeah, yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Cool. Well, I'm going to be cognizant of your time, and um, I appreciate it. Man, I could talk for hours about this stuff. I love this, and I'm sure you do, too. <laughs> but, uh if you're open to it, I'd love to have you back on sometime. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll dig even deeper, but this is uh, this is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, no, um, I love it, and uh, I'd love to do it. And, and my book, you can get it at, um, uh, if you don't mind, I'll plug it here. Um, yeah, I was going to say, please, plug, yeah. plug your website and your book and uh, anything else you want to plug, go for it. Uh, it's uh, veepnutrition.com. Uh, you can you can get the book. Uh, the bang for the buck is the, uh, the audio book with the uh, digital version. Um, uh, pretty cool value, and just yeah, go there, check it out, and um, awesome. Can. Yeah, cool, awesome.
Well, thanks, Joel. I appreciate it. It was good talking with you. Um, yeah, let's let's get you back on here, and I'll uh, I'll get some uh, as soon as I I'll get this version edited out a little bit, post post it out there, pop it on the pop it on all the sources, get your name, and get uh, get word out about the book. I really enjoyed it. I'm gonna share it with a lot of my friends and patients. So uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to do a, a nerd cast. We'll, we'll have to do a comic book cast. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, I said maybe next time we can just talk about uh, Marvel and DC and all that cool stuff. That'd be like. <laughs> I think we'd get a lot of followers. It'd be so much fun. Um, on my Instagram, I have a, a you know what Kirby Crackle is, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Jack Kirby's kind of signature cosmic space stuff. Right, I, right, I, right. In my house, I, I have from my Instagram, so I'm super. Oh, that's it. cool. Nice. Hey, I wanted to ask you a question. <laughs> um, I, I think do you, do you, if you have, do you have a minute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mentioned my my little brother in my book. Um, my little brother with Down syndrome, and um. Oh yeah. I'm bringing him down again um, this next week because he, he uh, I, I, I took him back to his group home. He was top notch, and then he's he's worse now, and it's just mm-hmm. so I'm working on getting him transferred where I live. Uh, but I'm gonna be with him here for about ten days, just working on him, you know, through the whole, just getting him back up. And yeah, um, yeah, I want to get him on a testosterone patch because I think that that would he's he's 52, mm-hmm. and so loss of testosterone in males, normal males, is pretty devastating, but in him it's very devastating, and I think that it would help his energy, and I think it would help his cognition, and I think it would help everything. Um, any advice or anything you know about putting like a Down syndrome patient on a testosterone patch? Uh, I mean, I've, I do a lot of HRT and peptide therapies, so, but I've not done really too many with Down syndrome per se, but I don't think there would be any... Um, contraindication to doing that. Um, as with all, all medications, start low, go slow. Um, you, might want to, you could start something that you want to be able to titrate. I would maybe even start with a, a cream. Not really the um, like the testum or the axum because their concentrations are so low. I usually use a compounding pharmacy so we get a much higher concentration so it's much more effective. Okay. And, then, and you can titrate the dose better so you, know, you can adjust it day to day. Okay. That probably be a good. I mean, you could do injectables too, um, yeah. which you can also titrate, but it might yeah. be a little harder. Because a, a cream would be easy. Okay. Um, once or twice a day, and you could. I mean, I can give you. I could email you the pharmacy I use. I can even help you with the the dose and things if you want. I'd be happy oh, to help. Um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to get him on that. I think it'll be life changing for him. Probably would be. Yeah. Absolutely. You said he's what? Fifty three. Fifty three. Yeah. Any other health issues? Just the downs or. Uh. More than any, well, no, nah, just he, he, he had Parkinson's onset, um, but it, it's, it's just, it really, it's just malnutrition in the gut biome. Like I can, I can make him go 100% asymptomatic in a week, just, just by B vitamin yeah. and other things, like, like, from completely symptom, symptomatic and no symptoms. So just, I would just say that. Um, yeah, yeah. They have him on a lot of medications now, and I, I, I want to get him off all of them. So. Yeah. Well, I think if you're working with him on his nutrition, as you as you mentioned, you could fix a lot of things just with that. But um, um, for sure. But yeah, I'll uh, I'll email you some ideas. And uh, obviously, you're out in California, and I couldn't um, really prescribe it, but I could recommend some dosages and some farm. I can tell you the pharmacies I use and things like that. But I think that'd probably be helpful to try it. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Okay. Great idea. So the cream is perfect. Okay. That that would be. Yeah. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good stuff. <laughs> Well, great talking to you, man. I just I want to I want to just geek out sometime and just do like a comic cast. That'd be fun. <laughs> I'd love to do that. Yeah, that'd be a blast. I'll go. I'll, we'll, we'll get on talk. I'll get my son on there too, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll geek it out. It's all. <laughs> I think that'd well, be a blast. I, I can tell you now that we're off air. I can tell you. Uh, so it's Ron Penna, the the founder of Quest. 
Oh, okay. 